Well, it really was an incredible week, and it couldn't have happened without all of you. So, you know, as you hear the stories and just a little bit, you get a little bit of a taste of everything that happened, and you see some of the smiles and all that, just, just know that it really couldn't have happened without all of you. The many of you who came out and served and gave of your time and your talent and your energy and just put in some long days and everything, it's so appreciated. And those of you who are praying and just behind the scenes praying for this thing, that people would come and kids would come, families would be impacted, those of you who faithfully give so that we could have the resources to make it happen, we recognize that none of that could have happened without your faithfulness and your obedience to, to God. And so we do thank you. And it was an incredible VBS, you know, one of those VBS where kids, I mean, everyone in my group at least, they're all talking about their friends and who they can invite to come because they, they all want to invite other people. And you know what's a good sign when people are wanting to invite others, right? It means they're, they're kind of fired up and excited about what's going on. And there is something special about being invited, you know. Jesus teaches us that in this story on the Emmaus Road that we've been kind of going through. We're in our series, This Versus That. And just to kind of recap where we've been a little bit, it, uh, there's these friends, and uh, the crucifixion has happened, and they were, at one time, had hoped that Jesus would be the Redeemer of Israel, but now they've given up hope. And they're on their way, they're leaving Jerusalem, they're on the road to Emmaus, they're getting out of town, and they're sad, and they are downcast, and they have given up. And Jesus, the resurrected Christ, meets them on this journey. He doesn't just stand there and kind of speak at them. He walks with them. He initiates himself into their journey. He walks with them. And he asks questions about what had happened in Jerusalem. He knew all the answers because it had all happened to him, but he's asking them questions. So what things? Tell me what happened in Jerusalem. And so here are these guys telling the resurrected Christ what's happened from in Jerusalem, and they think, are, you know, where are you from that you don't know? How have you not heard everything about this man, Jesus? And so with that kind of background, we jump back into the story this week, Luke 24 verses 28 and 29. Luke 24, verses 28 and 29. We're kind of in the middle of walking with Jesus and a couple of friends on the Emmaus Road. And so Luke 24, 28 and 29, it says this, so they, the friends, Cleopas and his friend, drew near to the village to which they were going. Jesus acted as if he were going to go farther, but they urged him strongly saying, stay with us. For it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. Jesus acted as if he's going to go farther. But they urged him strongly, stay with us. And so he stayed. And so the natural question, the obvious question comes, would Jesus just have kept on walking? You know, if... If Cleopas and his friend, if they didn't invite Jesus, if they didn't say, hey, it's getting late, you know, it's dark out, how much further are you going to be able to walk now? You know, you should come, you should stay with us, let's, let's sleep now, we'll get up, we'll finish our journey to Emmaus in the morning. If they wouldn't have pleaded with him, if they wouldn't have urged him strongly, hey, why don't you just stay with us? Would he have kept on walking? You know, the hard answer to that question is yes. He would have. 
I mean, we, we see this in other stories about Jesus, don't we, where there is this moment and somebody has to make a decision because in the urgency of the moment, if they don't make the decision, Jesus is moving on, that he keeps walking. He's a God who's on the move. He walks along the shore of Galilee and he sees these, uh, these men and he calls out to them, hey, if you want to be my disciple, come follow me. And Peter and Andrew and James and John, in that moment, they have to make a decision. Are we going to leave our nets? Are we going to leave our trade of fishing? And are we going to follow Jesus because he's moving? You have moments to make that decision. Are, is, are we going to follow him or are we just going to stay fishing? And so they have that decision. You, you got the story of Zacchaeus. Maybe you, know, maybe you remember the story, and the, the opening verses of that chapter tell us that Jesus is just passing through. And so he's passing through, and he sees Zacchaeus up in the tree, the sycamore tree, you remember, and, and Zacchaeus thinks he's hiding out there, and Jesus says, hey, Zacchaeus, come down, because I, wa I want to go and have dinner with you tonight. And Zacchaeus, he has some moments here. Am I going to come down, and am I going to have dinner with Jesus or am I just going to pretend like I'm hiding up in this tree and just let Jesus keep on walking? You remember the story of the rich young ruler? The rich young ruler, he comes up to Jesus. Hey, Jesus, I want to be your disciple. Tell me what I got to do to be your disciple. And Jesus says, you got to sell all that you have. Then come follow me. And he says this to the rich young ruler. And the rich young ruler gets sad and he walks away. And then what happens? Jesus chases down after him. No, no, no. I'm not going to let you leave. You got to follow me. I'm not going to let you walk away. I'm, I'm moving, but you got to, no, that's not what Jesus does. Jesus just lets him go away. Jesus is moving the other way. That's how it's going to be. And he lets him go. John chapter 6, there's this crowd of people, crowd of, crowd of people. Jesus had just uh, fed them, right? And then they follow him across the lake, and they're there, and they say, hey, Jesus, we want to eat again. You know, you need to turn some more fish and and you know, do your bread thing, because we're hungry. And Jesus says, no, what you really need is to come after me and to believe in me. And the crowds say, that's a hard teaching. I can't do that. And so the crowds leave. And Jesus chases down after them, right, and says, no, 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 you can't leave. I'm not going to let you go. You have to fuck. No, he doesn't do that. He lets them go. He's on the move. See, we don't, we don't get a Jesus of our own choosing. We have the biblical Jesus or we don't get him at all. And we have a Jesus who's on the move. There is an urgency to the gospel. There is a willingness to keep on walking. This God who is always moving and he's calling his people to be a people who move. We, we studied this in the book of Acts, that we are made to move. We are the children of Abraham, and we confess Abraham is our father, this wandering Aramean who was on the move. You go through the story of Exodus. In the story of Exodus, you see a people on the move. They, they follow the cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. They wake up each morning, and they try to locate, say, okay, God, where are you? Because we're following you, because God leads his people to move. You see it in the book of Acts, all throughout the book of Acts. This is a church that's on the move to take the gospel to every corner of culture and every sphere of society, that we are made to move, that we are made to impact people all over, but we're people who move. However, on the other side of the story, 
God is a God of patience. He's on the move, but at the same time, he is a God who waits. You see this too, don't you? That God says to his people Israel, Ephraim, Ephraim, the name for Israel, how long must I wait for you? But he's waiting. He's waiting. You, you, you see this, uh, not, not, not just with that, but then he also says, come, let us reason together, the Lord says. Though, though your sins be as scarlet, I will make them white as snow. He, he, he's willing to wait. This toughness, this resilience, this doggedness, I, I am willing to wait for you. I will not quit on you. I will not give up. You see this, the story of the prodigal son. Right? The, the prodigal son goes to the father and says, Dad, I want my inheritance now. You're dead to me. Just let me live my life. The father who represents God the father says, here's the inheritance. Go. He does not chase after him and say, no, 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 I'm not going to let you go. No, he lets him move. And the father keeps doing what the father is doing and keeping up everything at home. But at the same time, he is praying. He is waiting. Oh, that the son would come back. Come back home just waiting for the son to come to himself and come home. See, we, we grew up, didn't we, in a, in a culture that wants instant success, that we want what we want and we want it right now. You know, we press a couple buttons on our keypad and, you know, we, we expect just the search engine almost to finish our thoughts and tell us what we're looking for. You know, you hit the enter key, and you, you want to know, okay, well, what's the answer to this question that I have? Come on, Google, you got to tell me. You hit a button on the microwave, right, bing, and you stand there, and you're just waiting. Ugh, come on, you yell at microwave, hurry, 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 I want the food to be done now. We, we want instant success. We're impatient. We want things to move along quickly. Things have to be done in just a certain period of time because we've got a long list. We've got other things to do, other things to accomplish. And oftentimes we see evangelism in that same vein, right? I mean, we, we've got this mechanical process. We've got this presentation. We've got these verses. We've got these questions. And if I can just stand and if I can just deliver this to you, then hopefully you'll be saved and, and I can just go find the next one. That's kind of the process that you've been trained in. And so, hey, it used to work, but it doesn't work so well anymore. You know, Jesus, he's evangelizing in a pre-Christian culture. Now we get to evangelize in a post-Christian culture. And oftentimes, those two look very similar and so there are moments of what we would call spontaneous conversions where you share the gospel, boom, they're impacted immediately and they walk out a different person. But oftentimes the conversation is different now. It's different for a lot of reasons. Different, you know, some of those reasons is people no longer have a biblical background. You know, people, most, most people don't grow up in Christian homes. Most people don't grow up with moms and dads who read the Bible to them, or moms and dads who will take them to vacation Bible school. And so they don't have this appreciation for the scriptures anymore. You know, I mean, I always try and, hey, you take them to scripture, this is the authority, boom. You know, the Bible says, boom. But they're now struggling with the question, well, 
why should I trust the Bible? I mean, I've, I've heard the Bible says all kinds of weird stuff. Should, should I really even, tr- how can I trust what this says? Because they don't have that fundamental foundation that used to be there. Where you, whether you agreed with everything or not, or whether there were some, some things in there that you didn't obey or whatever, that, that was to the side. There was still this appreciation that, hey, the Bible is the authority. I can trust it. It's not there anymore. And so now we spend time like unearthing worldviews and, and, well, how do you see the world and what's, how's life and what's going on? And so we're asking questions. This is what Jesus did, right, with these guys. He's asking questions. He's trying to understand, okay, so what do you think about Jesus? And then when Jesus shares, you know, he didn't even say, hey, I am Jesus. As he shared and he talked, he just tried to get the people to understand you can trust Jesus. The same Jesus who, who you once had hoped in. Your hope was in the right place. You can trust him. You know, the time frame changes in these conversations. Because when you have a fundamental foundation of, okay, I can accept scripture, the conversation can move a lot quicker. But when you're talking to someone who, they don't have that. Well, then sometimes these conversations can take days or weeks, months, sometimes even years. And that frustrates us because we want it to happen faster. We, we want a program that just a presentation that we can just get in front of someone, boom, this works, they're saved. But you can't. It, it just doesn't work like that. So that's one of the reasons Jesus told his followers so many stories about agriculture. I mean, you go through and, and you read how many times Jesus paints this picture using stories of agriculture where you water and you wait. Right? You plant and you wait. Come along, you do some weeding and you wait. You see some signs of life, you do a little pruning and you wait. And it takes a long time for that fruit to show up. You know, we... In our yard several years ago, we, we planted some zucchini, and Bree was little, you know, she was small at this time, and she, I guess she was just really impatient because she wanted to see the zucchini happen, you know, and so the thing is, we're waiting, and finally you get the zucchini plant, you know, before you get any zucchini, there's like flowers and these things that happen, and she sees that, but she's still looking for the zucchini, she wants it to happen, so what does she do? She just picks up the whole plant, picks it right out of the garden, just expect, come on, where's the zucchini in all this? Some of us, you know, we grow impatient with this process. And instead of trusting the Spirit to do what only the Spirit can do, we come along and we're wanting to to pull up the plants and say, come on, where's the fruit? You got got to grow faster. You got to produce more. So we keep digging it up. We want to make the action happen. We want the discussion to get to that point so fast. But sometimes it takes time. Like I did with my friend Michael. And he, he came and he was all excited to, to hear a little bit. And then I, I began to explain some about Jesus. And then he basically told me in no uncertain terms, hey, Steve, I, I just need to take some time and think about what you're telling me. Like, I... I can you give me something to read so that I can investigate further what you're saying? And I did. Gave him some 
DVDs for him to watch, recommended a book for him to read. He did that. I didn't hear from him again for a while. I'd text him every once in a while, check in with him, see how he's doing. But I didn't hear from him again for a while. And then several months pass, and he shows up again. All right, I've, I've got some more questions now. And the conversation continued. But it wasn't overnight. And he came from a background where he, he didn't trust the Bible. He was skeptical. Why, why should I believe this? Anyway, you know, there can be all kinds of things that trip people up as you're having this discussion, you're having this conversation because it's foreign to them. And so they hear a concept that's totally out of the blue that I've never thought of it like that before. Or, or maybe the image is difficult, right? We speak of God as our heavenly father. But what if they've got a bad experience with dad? You know, they, they didn't have a good father. And so their image of father, this does not bring up a good thing. And so now they've got to process that. You've got, you got to have almost another metaphor where they can understand what a loving father, what a good dad looks like because they're hung up. And so you've got to reframe the conversation. You know, they, they have had a bad experience with church or Christians or, or something like this. And so you know, there, there's this wall that's built up a little bit. And you've you got to get past that. You've you got to come around. You've got to be willing to invest some time I care. I, I don't know about all your previous experiences and all this, but I'm just telling you, I care about you. I want, I want to walk with you. I want to journey with you. I want to have the conversation with you. In that walking, in that journeying, Jesus just comes out because that's who we are. It's not like we're trying to hold it back and keep it a secret. And okay, I'm just looking for the right time, and then I'm going to interject Jesus into this conversation. It's not like that, because Jesus is the most significant thing that's ever happened to us. So it just comes out, but it comes out naturally and genuinely and authentically. It's not this canned presentation where, okay, let me, let me just walk through this with you. People look at that these days, and they say, ah, is this for real? <laughs> or do you just got this thing memorized and you're trying to get me? They're asking the question, what difference does this really make in your life? How does knowing the risen Christ impact the way you live? How does it impact the way you parent? How does it impact the way you grandparent? How does it impact your finances? How does it impact the way you live in your neighborhood and you're a neighbor? How does it impact the way you are a citizen of the country? How does it impact the way you do your job? What difference does the risen Christ make in your life? That's what they're interested in. How are you any different from that other worker? Or can they tell no difference? Now, this is not a new thing. Okay? This is the type of evangelism that Jesus was doing where it just took time. We have stories in the Bible like this where you just see it over a period of time. One of those stories is uh, more famous ones is with Nicodemus. And in the Gospel of John, and in John's Gospel, Nicodemus shows up to have this conversation with Jesus, and he says, Jesus, you're amazing. You've done things that no, nobody could just do by themselves. Obviously, God is with you somehow. And Jesus kind of interrupts him and says, hey, Nicodemus, you can't know God. You can't know the kingdom life and what that's all about unless you've been born again. And Nicodemus looks at him like he has three heads and says, what, what in the world? This makes no sense. 
how are you supposed to be born again? I mean, how does that, that doesn't work, you know. And then the conversation kind of ends there in John 3. There's no real resolution for Nicodemus there. It's not that, okay, it's all explained, and Nicodemus has all his questions answered, and then at that moment, boom, Nicodemus is, no, we don't get that. The story just kind of leaves us hanging a little bit, and we don't hear about Nicodemus again until John chapter 7. And then in John chapter 7, the, the, relig the religious leaders are there, and they're waiting to condemn Jesus. They want to get him. And Nicodemus, he speaks up. And he says, hey, now, wait a second, guys. In, in the law, we can't really do it this way. We need to hear what he says. We, we have to give him an opportunity to speak. Why don't we let him talk? And so you, you get this sense that this conversation that Nicodemus had already had with Jesus is still kind of weighing on him. That he's kind of considered what Jesus is saying, and maybe he's thinking, you know, if you guys could just hear him too, perhaps you'd understand him a little bit better. Perhaps you'd understand why he's doing what he's doing. See, Nicodemus had been paying attention to what Jesus said, and, and he'd been wrestling with it. And so the conversation with Nicodemus and Jesus, it, it, it kind of goes to that next level in John chapter 7. And then the last time we hear about Nicodemus is in John chapter 19. And in 19, Jesus has been crucified. And this stranger, Joseph of Arimathea, he comes to Pilate. And he says, Pilate, can I prepare Jesus' body for the burial? Can I, can I bury Jesus? And Pilate grants him permission. He says, yes, you can, you can take the body. You can bury Jesus. Pilate, or, or, or uh, Joseph of Arimathea, he takes the body, and then someone shows up with burial spices to help him prepare it. It's not Mary. It's not Peter. It's not John. It's Nicodemus. He's the only one. He's the one who brings the spices and prepares the body for burial. When did the change take place? We don't know. There's no paragraph in John that says, okay, at this moment, Nicodemus believed and the relationship started. We don't know. We just know that there was these series of conversations, these series of interactions, and at some point, it changed his life. But Jesus was willing to be patient with him, to go through the process with him. See, we share who we know Jesus to be, and then sometimes we have to wait. We have to wait to be invited for the conversation to go further. And we're not good at waiting, are we? Because we want the conversation to move forward yesterday. But that's not always how it works. We, we want to barge in with more information and, oh, I, I thought of this other argument. Yeah, I meant to tell you this. But understand, this isn't a waiting of inaction. This is an active waiting. We must wait actively. We don't just sit there like looking at our phones and hoping for that text message and, and watch our, look at our watch and just say, okay, hurry up, hurry up. You know, when's that email going to come? It's not that. It, it, it is this active waiting, this fighting wait where we keep on showing up or we keep on engaging. 
in a way that's comfortable for them, just, just about life. Hey, I know you brought your kid to VBS last week. Just checking, what, what was the experience like for him? Any, any great stories that he came back to share? And you keep the conversation going. You almost look for things, right? You take some pictures of the kid so that you have a reason. Hey, the kid was in my group. I happened to get a few pictures. I wanted to reach out and just share them with you. I loved having him. He was, he was a lot of fun. But you keep it going. You keep engaging. And in that engaging, yeah, Jesus just comes out because that's who we are. But it comes out genuinely and authentically, not with this canned presentation. But there's also this sense of waiting where you're praying, where you're fighting that fight on our knees. Paul reminds us that our enemy is not flesh and blood, but it is spiritual warfare. I mean, this class that we're offering in just a a couple weeks for the ladies that that Gretchen will be leading, uh, it's so valuable because we are reminded that this is spiritual warfare, and spiritual warfare must be fought with spiritual weapons. And the weapon of choice, more often than not, is prayer. It's this engagement with God, this longing for someone to come to know him or to know him better or to walk with him. And we pray. We pray for our friends. And as we pray, several things happen in that prayer. One, we're confronted with our own pride. It's not a pride of like we're better or superior or anything, but it's a pride of method. We're confronted with this idea that Sometimes we trust in our own abilities, our own eloquence, our own just explanation that if I can just get this just right, if I can do this well enough, I can convince them and they will be saved. That's not, we can't bring about the change. We can't bring about the light. If we're waiting to have the perfect presentation, we will never get there. One of the things I do every week, I listen to myself. You know, it's, it's not really that fun to listen to yourself. I'll just tell you that. But I do every week. I listen to myself. Why? Because I want to get better. I want to be able to explain the truths of scriptures as best as I possibly can so that we will live and act differently. The purpose of preaching is always a change of life. It's never just to sit and listen and say, okay, yeah, that's cool. Oh, I like that. It's always, how does this affect the way I live? You never find a sermon in the Bible where they're not calling for a change of action. So we get to this point in the presentation, we think, if I just get it right. But that's not it. And as we pray, we're reminded that, God, only you can bring about the change. I can't do it. Whatever method I have, it... it, It's a method. Methods can be helpful, but you're the one who's going to bring about the change. And I'm going to be okay with the fact that I shared, I was faithful, I did my thing, and now I'm going to trust the Spirit to do what only the Spirit can do. I'm going to trust the Spirit to bring about the light. And we get to this point, sometimes when we pray that, You know, sometimes it can be uh, despair that drives us to pray for people because we know they're lost. We know where they're headed. And so there's this hurt and there's this despair because we know the importance of them knowing 
Jesus, and we know that this person is on their way to hell unless God gets a hold of their life, unless they begin a relationship with Jesus. And so we try and we try and we try and we beg and we beg and we beg. We say, Jesus, will you just hear this person? It's like we're tearing off the roof so that we can drop this person right in front of Jesus so that Jesus can heal them and make them whole. And that's almost how it feels sometimes. And as we're praying and as we're, as we're yearning, amazingly, as, as Stacy was talking about, that despair turns into worship because we realize that Jesus can do it. That everything we're, we're praying for, Jesus has everything we need. Everything that this person needs, Jesus already has it. He has it. And so there's this enthusiasm and this excitement that comes, and, and now it's no longer despair. It, it, it's worship. And there's this desire that this person can come and worship with us. And that just pushes us out again. It keeps us moving. It keeps us sharing. Because it's not a reflection on how well we share or anything like that. It's a reflection on the God we worship and the God we love. That we could bring people to this, the Lord of lords and King of kings. You know, the Garden of Gethsemane, you remember it, Jesus in the moments before he's arrested and crucified, he has this all-night prayer meeting fighting the fight on his knees for the human race. And he prays. And he has these disciples with him, these three disciples, and, and he comes back to them and he says, could you not wait? Could you not wait with me for even this one hour? Are, are you not tough enough? Or could, could you not just hang in there? Could, could, could you not wait around for just one hour? I mean, e even when it doesn't look like we can win, that, hey, you might as well throw in the towel and give up, when everything around you says you're not going to win, could you wait? When that person looks hopeless and far off, and I don't see how God's ever going to get a hold of them, can you wait? spent some time last week reading a little in 1 Corinthians. I got to 1 Corinthians 13, and all my Bible study tools and everything, and method, it just kind of goes out the window at 1 Corinthians 13. 1 Corinthians 13 is that chapter on love, you know, and it's, it's a chapter, and I get there, and I'm thinking, I know this, you know, I've, I've, I've studied this, I've taught this a bunch of times, I understand this, and I was kind of reading it with Ephesians in mind because we're, uh, Ephesians will be the book that we kind of go through this next school year. But also in the back of my mind was this Emmaus Road. And as I'm reading it, thinking about how Jesus is just evangelizing some friends, all of a sudden those words did something different for me on the page. I, I looked at it, and, and in that context, just thinking, love is patient. What does that mean to be patient with someone who doesn't yet know Jesus? Love is kind. Love doesn't insist on its own way. Love never quits. And I started thinking about that in, in the context of evangelism and, and something happened. Sometimes you're listening to a friend and there's so much heartache and 
They've made so many mistakes, and sometimes they just want to say something of shock value or even almost offensive so that, so that you will just walk away, right? Hey, you, enough of this. I just want to get you away, so I'm going to say something that just surprises you. Just waiting to see if you're going to shake the dust off your feet, shake your head in judgment as you, as you leave, and they can say, okay, I don't have to worry about this anymore. But we don't. We wait. Continue to wait, to wait actively, to pray faithfully that God would get a hold of this person because God waited on us. He waited for that moment where he could initiate a relationship with us. Jesus hasn't given up on us so we don't give up on others. Will you, can you not wait for even this one hour? I was in... Sierra Leone uh, training some pastors over there, and we're doing a, a, a thing, a training session, and the pastors asked me, hey, Steve, could you teach us on prayer? I said, sure, I can teach you on prayer, and so I, you know, I launched into it, and okay, one of the things you got to do, you got to lead your people to a place of prayer where prayer is not simply like, here's the hospital list, and here's our travel schedule. Okay, you got to lead them to a place of prayer where they, they begin by just adoring God for who he is. And they, they look at the characteristics of God and, 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 and who he is and what he's done for us, and you just adore God for that. And then you move to a place of confession, a communal confession where we say, God, we haven't been faithful as a people to the degree that we should have. Would you forgive us for that? And then you move to a place of thanksgiving. God, thank you that even in our brokenness, even in our weakness, you would choose to use us to be, our, to be your ambassadors. And then to beg God, hey, God, w- would you use us this week? We need your help. We recognize that we can't do this alone. It is only by the power of your Holy Spirit that we are going to be effective in the places where we work, live, study, and play. And so I'm, I'm training through this, and I'm going through this, and I ask these pastors, do you lead your people to pray like that? And they said, yeah, we're familiar with that model. We, we, uh, we do that. In fact, um, the last Friday of every month, we have an all-night prayer service. Our people fast all day, and then we gather together that evening, and we stay up all night and pray. And I was so overwhelmed and, like, taken aback by that. I mean, it it didn't even compute in my head, so I'm asking questions of them. So are you telling me you meet once a month and you pray all night? Yeah. Is that just you, like, as pastors, or is that your whole church? No, that's the whole church. Well, how many people show up to that? Did people actually come out for this? Oh, yeah, our whole church comes. Like, no one doesn't come. Everyone comes. Well, what about kids? I mean, you got kids. Do they come? Yeah, all, all the kids come. Everyone's there. So, do you just sign up for shifts or something? Like, I'm trying to understand. Like, this does not compute. Do you, do you each take like an hour? No, it's everybody. It's all night. And I said, I, okay, the study on prayer is over because I have nothing left to teach you. In fact, you need to teach me. Because if I were to lead something like that, would you come? Would I come? Probably not. I spoke with my good friend, Pastor Pius, over in Sierra Leone on Thursday, like I do every Thursday. And he reminded me, as I'm just asking about how things are going, he reminded me that 
this past Friday was the last Friday of the month, and that his church would be, again, fasting all day and praying together all night. And I asked him, I said, in your prayers, would you pray for our church, that we would be as dependent upon God and wait on him as actively as your people are over in Sierra Leone? I got off the phone, and later that Thursday afternoon, I was reminded of the verse in Revelation uh, chapter 3, verse 20. You're, you're familiar with it, um, likely. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hears my voice and answers the door, behold, I will come in and eat with him, and he with me. Understand, in that, in that verse, Jesus is saying, I will come in and eat with him. He's waiting to be invited, not just so that you will open the door and he can give you this gospel presentation, but that he can come in and eat with you and you with him. And you know what? It doesn't matter how long that door has been closed. This could be your grandfather. That door could be closed for 90 years. It doesn't matter. He's just waiting for you to open the door. It doesn't matter where the door is. It doesn't matter if it's a door at VBS or if it's a door to some bar in the city or if it's a door in Sierra Leone or a door in America. It doesn't matter where the door is. He's waiting. It doesn't matter how hard that door was slammed shut. When it was slammed shut, Jesus is waiting just for that small opening, just for a little crack so that he can come in and eat with them. And we who love Jesus... We wait with them. We wait too for just that smallest opening, just that littlest crack, so that love can come in, so that we can be invited in to eat, to have conversations, to share Jesus and impact people. Can you not wait for just this one hour? Heavenly Father, we thank you that when we were in the midst of our sin, you waited on us. God, we thank you that you are a patient God. And God, we thank you at the same time that you are a God who moves, that you do not sit still, but that you, uh, you came from heaven to earth to show the way back to the Father. And that now you move your people around the globe, around the world, so that others can know the life-transforming effect of knowing Jesus. And God, we thank you again just for the, the stories that we were able to share this last week with um, so many kids, so many families here at VBS. God, we, we pray that their lives would be changed, that they would understand who they are, that they would become mature disciples who themselves will share Jesus the best way they know how, even at young ages, and that they will impact people. That God, you give us the best life you give us a life with purpose and meaning, a life worth living. And God, we thank you for that. Help us to live it well. We recognize that to do that, uh, we need your help. So we ask this by the power of your Holy Spirit and through the grace of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.